Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. It's me. It's my birthday. It's you. This time. It is your day. My birthday was Tuesday. May the 4th be with you. Oh. And so this episode is my present to myself. And to me. I'm very excited. episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories, and the birthday girl. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Oh. You did it without looking! No, I didn't. Oh. I was reading it. Oh. <laughs> I decided I couldn't do it. You got me. I was like, that was really good. Before we get into this episode, I kind of wanted to throw it out there. We've had several listeners over the past couple of months DM us on Instagram or send us emails asking if we have any plans to start a Patreon. And first, I can't express how excited we are that people actually might want to hear more from us, more of this this content <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. I'm just as shocked as well. <laughs> And it just blows my mind. So the answer to that question is we would love to. We are planning on it. But we wanted to ask the peeps and creeps, you know, what would y'all be interested in getting from a Patreon? We've been talking about it. Like right now, we're thinking a monthly bonus episode would be doable for us. And then um, extra weekly minisodes and then maybe some different perks. So if that would be something that you'd be interested, please let us know. We are at Creepers Pod on all the socials. Our email is creeperspod at gmail.com. And also, we're running another giveaway this week. Ooh. This week, we're going to give away a lovely little True Crime Creepers tote bag, a <gasps> canvas tote bag. Super cute. You can carry all of your items in it. Do we do we get these things? Do we have to enter? <laughs> You're going to have to pay for them. Sorry. Oh. All you have to do to enter is follow us on Instagram at CreepersPod and tag two friends that are into true crime in the comments, and we will draw the winner the Wednesday after this episode drops, which will be May the 12th. Now on to the show. Hey, just for the record, mm -hmm. I always knew we were content queens. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. 
Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. This is going to be a different kind of episode today, Mogab. <gasps> Tell me more. I think that most people that are into true crime, so not you, have that <laughs> have that one case. It might be the case that got them into true crime in the first place. The case that just can't seem to leave them alone. The case that if they were granted three wishes by a genie, they would undoubtedly spend one of their wishes on discovering what really happened. For some people, it's the Jean Benet case. Others are obsessed with the disappearance of Maura Murray or if an owl really did kill Kathleen Peterson. <laughs> but for me, it's the murder of Heyman Lee. <gasps> Bitch, me too. <laughs> That's how this started. That is how this started. You like finished the documentary and we, it was like the first time that you texted me anything about it. And we late night back and forth. I had a lot to say. The definition of a creep is it was dark. I was in bed. I texted you at midnight like, oh my God. (laughs) Did Don do it? Yes. (laughs) And that was the beginnings of me as a true crime person, newbie. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, I didn't really grow up watching Unsolved Mysteries or Dateline. But six years ago, when I listened to Serial Season 1, my life changed. I spent 12 episodes of Serial not really understanding how these podcasts work, fully expecting to find out at the end of it whether or not Adnan did it. And I remember screaming at the end of the episode, like, that's it. I immediately wanted more. I sought it out. I found it. I discovered the Undisclosed podcast, which is hosted by Robbie Ashadri, Susan Simpson, and Colin Miller. Major shouts to them. They are all lawyers. Robbie is the friend of Adnan's that brought the case to Sarah Koenig from Serial in the first place. And she wanted to make sure that when people were still left questioning after Serial, they had a place to go for answers. So... She got together with Susan and Colin. They started the Undisclosed podcast. They dove into every single detail of that case. No stone was left unturned. But when I was done with it, I still wasn't enough. (laughs) That's when I found the Serial Dynasty podcast, which is now called the Truth and Justice podcast, hosted by Bob Ruff. I love him. I love that podcast. But Serial Dynasty was a crowdsourced investigation into Adnan's case that really took on a life of its own. Bob started doing his own investigative work, and literally that season had me screaming at every episode. He would drop some new bombshell, and I'd be like, no, Bob, stop it. (laughs) When I was done with that, I listened to them all again. Then there was the book by Rabia and Adnan, Adnan story. Then there was the HBO documentary that you watched, The Case Against Adnan Syed. <laughs> Susan Simpson's blog, The View from LL2, is an endless source of information. So is Colin Miller's blog, The Evidence Prof Blog. I spent like three years wanting to talk about this case nonstop with ev- anybody and everybody. And most people that I talked to were game to listen to Serial, 
But when they were done and wanted to talk about whether or not they thought Adnan was guilty or innocent, they just didn't have all the information. Most people just weren't down to invest literally hundreds of hours into this case. (laughs) But there's so much that Serial didn't touch on or just barely grazed the surface of. And so last week we had your birthday episode. Yes. Thank you for that. Well, this week it's my birthday episode. My birthday was this past Tuesday, May the 4th. So this is my birthday present to myself. My opportunity to sum up hundreds of hours of material the best way I can so that people I try to talk to about Adnan can now have the same information that I have. So you're going to talk at them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That sounds like a great birthday gift for you. I'm going to get it all out in one place so that I don't have to repeat myself. (laughs) And girl, I've got things to say. Oh, I have no doubts, sis. No (laughs) doubts. So this was a really hard episode for me to write. Probably the hardest yet because there's just so much information out there. And it's been a while since I did a deep dive. So I had a lot to review. And I went back and forth on how to structure this, whether I was going to do it like our usual episode. But I knew that was going to require a two-parter where I'd spend like the first episode recapping all 12 episodes of Serial, basically. And then the second part getting to the good stuff, like what Serial (laughs) left out. So I decided not to do that. I'm not going to give a full recap of the case because honestly, Sarah Koenig already did that to perfection with Serial. If you haven't listened to Serial... What have you been doing with your true crime life? Go listen to Serial. Honestly, yes, because I've listened to that. So if you have not, <laughs> what are you even doing here? What are you? Even Cher was in Clueless Mogab <laughs> has listened to Serial. <laughs> okay, but like Cher could have been in Clueless, really. <laughs> I mean, she was in Mamma Mia, too. So Right, okay. At me. So I'm going to give you an overview, but I'm also expecting most people to be at least semi-familiar with this case, because what I really want to talk about today is the biggest points that I think have been uncovered since Serial, or were just flat out left out of Serial, and where Adnan is at with his case right now. Yes! Heyman Lee was murdered on January 13th, 1999. She was a senior in the STEM magnet program at Woodlawn High School in Baltimore, Maryland. And Hay was smart. She was smart enough to get into the magnet program and maintain a 3.8 GPA despite heavy extracurriculars and a part-time job. She played both lacrosse and field hockey. She managed the boys' wrestling team. And she had a part-time job after school at LensCrafters. And didn't she take care of younger siblings, too? I remember that. Yeah. her Some of her responsibilities was to pick up her little cousin after school. Yeah. Hay had a really large group of friends. Most of them were from the Magnet program, many of whom we will get into, that all hung out together. She was a strong, independent, smart girl, and someone killed her. Her body was found several weeks later on February 9th, 1999, half buried in Lincoln Park in Baltimore, Maryland. Her ex-boyfriend, fellow senior Adnan Syed, was tried and convicted for the murder, and he's currently serving life in prison. The main evidence used against Adnan was the testimony of Jay Wilds, who was the boyfriend of a friend of Adnan's, who said that he had helped Adnan bury Hay's body. 
Jay said that day Adnan had let him borrow his car and cell phone and had told him that he was planning on killing Hay. Adnan then got a ride from Hay. They wound up at Best Buy somehow. Adnan strangled her in her car and called Jay to come pick him up at Best Buy. Adnan said that if Jay didn't become an accomplice to murder with him, that Adnan would tell on him for being a pot dealer. And that's why he helped, which makes zero sense, but... Correct, yes. Yeah. Later that night, Jay went with Adnan to Lincoln Park to help dig a hole to bury Hayen. Jay's testimony was corroborated by Adnan's cell phone data, as well as testimony from his friend Jen Pusateri, who said she drove Jay to throw away the shovels, and Jen's friend, not her real name, Kathy, who we know now is named Christy Vinson, who said that Jay and Adnan came by her apartment that day and that Adnan was acting really weird. And that's pretty much an overview of the case. I just want to say where I stand on this case right now, which is that I'm about 99% sure that Adnan is completely and totally innocent of Hayes' murder. I don't think he had anything to do with it, but I also wasn't there. I don't know it for a fact. I'm willing to admit that there's a chance that he did it. I just find it highly unlikely. Same. (laughs) All right. On the same page. What? What I'm not willing to bend on, though, is that there was any evidence proving that he did it at all, which is what you're supposed to do when someone's arrested and charged with a crime. You're supposed to prove that they did it. The burden of proof is on the state. And it seems like with the way that this investigation went, the police put all of their effort and energy into proving that Adnan did it instead of looking for who killed Hay. And those two things are not the same. The way that this investigation was run, I can't think of a better word for it than just disgusting from the very start. And it's also the reason why there's so many questions with this case, why this case is so compelling, because they didn't really investigate. All they did was look for evidence to build a case against Adnan. So trying to investigate other suspects or anything else now, it's so hard because they weren't looked into at the time. It's been over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Fingerprints weren't run. DNA wasn't run, not unless they were certain that it would come back as a nons. There are several key points I want to make in this episode, just the biggest things I think people should know about this case. And the first is the part that I find the most fascinating about this whole case, and that is Jay Wilds, the prosecution's star witness. Oh, oh, it's com- it's, it is coming back. <laughs> mm, mm, I got scrunch face. Ooh, get into it, girl. Get into it. Let's get into it. It's pretty clear to anyone that's listened to Serial or done any sort of looking into this case that Jay is definitely lying about certain things. Something. Yeah, he's sketchy. You know, some people say like, okay, he's lying about certain things, but the other parts he's telling the truth. But we know for sure that he's lying. People that knew him said it all the time. Jay lies. He's a liar. He's known to make up stories. But people that think Ednan is guilty... They always point to Jay. They believe him, or they at least don't understand why he would just make up something like this. But here's the thing. Okay, we discussed this in the Richard Glossop episode, who is still sitting on death row, everyone, by the way, um, back in episode number one. Oh, quality audio in that one. Uh, <laughs> somebody Thanks. recorded through her AirPods. <laughs> that was Mogo. Oh, Mogo did that. The good old days. <laughs> 
But you aren't supposed to use testimony of a co-conspirator as evidence of guilt without corroborating Mm -hmm. their story. The state did that with Ednan's cell phone records. They said, look, we have these cell phone pings that prove that Jay is telling the truth because everywhere he says they were, so was his cell phone. But that's only true if you like squint one eye and tilt your head and then kind of shrug and then say, good enough. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem here. People are taking what does fit with Jay's story and they're saying, well, he lies. So that's why the rest doesn't fit. But some of it does fit. So he must have been telling the truth on that part. For example, and this was in Serial, you know, he said they went to Patapsco State Park in one of his stories, but it doesn't fit the cell phone data or the timeline. So they must not have gone there and he's lying. But then he said they went to Lincoln Park to bury the body and the phone pinged there. So he must be telling the truth. But if you're going to throw out some of it, if you're going to throw out Patapsco State Park, you have to throw out all of it unless you have actual proof, which there isn't. Right. (laughs) Also, can I just say the irony of the cell phone pings being used to prove he committed murder when Adnan got the cell phone like a few days before Hay was murdered. Right. Like if he just hadn't been the first one of his friend group to get a cell phone, (laughs) things would be very different for him. Mm -hmm. Get a pager. Jay has told at least five official stories of what happened that day. And each one has fairly significant changes. There was his first police interview, which was very different from his second police interview, which was fairly aligned with his first, which with his testimony at the first trial, which was different from his testimony at the second trial. And then after Serial came out back in 2014, he gave an interview with The Intercept and he told the story again. And this time, again, it's completely different. So today, he has a whole new story. But you know what stood out to me about all of that that really bothered me was, I don't remember what interview, if it was the first one or second, but where we know for a fact the police didn't start recording until way later into, do you talk about that? Way Mm -hmm. later into the interrogation or interview or whatever. Yes. He was in there for like an hour or something before they Oh, he was in there for hours Hours. I mean, I think it was like an eight-hour time window that was unaccounted for by when they signed him in and when they started recording. It was a long time, every time they interviewed him. So yes, a big problem with this whole case is that most of the police's interactions with Jay were not recorded. They would have pre-interviews that lasted hours and hours and hours. They'd finally start the tape once they had the story all nailed down. Now, this was totally common practice at the time. This wasn't like sketchy, out-of-the-ordinary behavior, except for what was actually going on in the pre-interviews, which we can all, you know, take guesses at now because that's all we have. But I think that has since changed. I believe that now the pre-interview has to be recorded as well. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't do that. In Jay's first recorded interview with the police, he tells them that after he dropped Adnan off at school, he went home to wait for Adnan's call. In the second interview, he tells them that actually he was at not her real name, Kathy Christie's apartment, who was a friend of Jay's. So the undisclosed podcast, specifically Susan Simpson, discovered something really interesting. Mm. It turns out the police had wanted to map these calls from Adnan's phone. They had someone make them a map, but one of the cell towers was placed in the wrong place on the map. 
The call that was actually pinging off the tower by Jay's house at that time, it looked like it was pinging off the tower by Christie's house. Oh, yeah. This is in the documentary, too. Yeah. So to fit this map, Jay changed his story, saying that he hadn't actually gone home. He'd gone to Christie's apartment after dropping Adnan off at trial, literally changing his story to fit this map that was labeled incorrectly. This is also the story that he told at the first trial. But somewhere in between the first and second trial, the police discovered that they'd placed the cell tower in the wrong place at the map, and it was actually back over by Jay's house, like he'd said in the first interview. Oopsie. (laughs) So the prosecution came up with this story that Jay went to Gilston Park to smoke a blunt after he dropped a non-off, something that Jay never actually testified to. But it was included in the cell phone experts line of questioning at the trial. So they're questioning the cell phone expert saying this phone was at Gilston Park. And the cell phone expert is like, yep. And the prosecutor is like, where Jay was smoking a blunt. And the cell phone expert is like, yep. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't the exact exchange. But (laughs) like the prosecutor and the cell phone expert are testifying that Jay was at Gilston Park smoking a blunt. And you can see that on the phone. But Jay never says he was there in his story. I honestly feel like the cell phone evidence was just so dense and so boring and so confusing that the jury just heard the conclusion that the prosecution was making, that the cell phone data backed up Jay's story at every stop. And they were like, cool, well, you had a lot of evidence and I'm going to believe that that's what you meant. But it well, just and didn't. I think it was newer at the time, too. It wasn't like cell phone evidence was something we had like, you know was always in cases. It was newer. Yeah. It was new-ish. It was very new. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1999. But even now, even if I I was on this trial now and they're talking about all of this cell phone expert and Tower 7C35942 and it pinged here at 245 and then it pinged Tower L3215. I mean, I would have tuned out a long time ago. I'd be like, (laughs) where's the murder? (laughs) Between the super dry testimony and the repeated, did you not, from Christina Gutierrez, Adnan's defense attorney, I think I would have just had a real hard time as a juror (laughs) in this trial. Man, that and the Nancy, Grace is going to keep me up (laughs) at night. I feel like the biggest issues with Christina Gutierrez were really covered in serial. So I just have one small thing to say about her. And this basically stems from a conversation I had with someone that you also know. Who is a lawyer? Oh, <laughs> enough said. She goes, Oh, he, they won't get any free, they're not going to get any free airtime here. <laughs> so, so way back when Serial first came out, we were talking about this case, and he said, No, no, Adnan is definitely guilty. He had a good defense attorney. So that means he's guilty. Like, that's he, the least surprising thing. <laughs> He legit thought this guy has to be guilty because he didn't have a public defender. And (laughs) that's true. Adnan didn't have some public defender defending him like so many other wrongful convictions, which is a big problem. He had a really expensive, high-powered attorney representing him, someone highly recommended to his family. 
But I feel like this lawyer that we know didn't finish Serial because he must have missed the part about her getting disbarred. But Ednod was also basically the last (laughs) case she tried. Like, her health was deteriorating. She was disbarred. Do you know how many attorneys get disbarred? No. Like, 0.06% of attorneys. I kind of forgot the story with her. Give me the quick rundown. So she... I'm picturing someone else, I think. There was like a case right after Ednon's and she basically was asking the family to give her more and more and more money for expert witnesses that she did not produce for them. Mm. She basically stole all this money from people and... She was in such bad health, but also just so determined she would work from her hospital room instead of just passing on her cases to another attorney. So she didn't do a very good job. I just wanted to tell him, this lawyer, like, go read her closing argument. Just go read two pages of her closing argument because it is a stream of consciousness that just makes zero sense. She spent like several hours talking about Pakistan and the mountains there. And the rest of it was just like not making sense at all. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, the most damning evidence against Ednon were the two incoming calls that pinged off the cell phone tower covering the area of Lincoln Park where Hayes' body was discovered. Those were even the calls that, in serial, Sarah's producer couldn't let go of. She said that she felt Ednon must be guilty because of those two calls. And they do look really bad. But then Susan Simpson, again, being the queen she is, (laughs) discovered something incredible. After months of poring over thousands of pages of documents, she found an AT&T fax cover letter from when AT&T faxed over Adnan's call log. Oh, oh, yes, yes. It said right there on the fax cover letter that incoming calls could not be used to determine location. Those Lincoln Park calls were both incoming calls. I mean, again, the irony that they would ping off of that cell tower. And sure, just because those pings can't be considered reliable doesn't mean they're definitely wrong. But they're not definitely right either. It means you shouldn't use them as evidence to put someone away for murder for life. Right. They should never have been allowed in as, ev- as evidence. And the cell tower expert they used at trial said that if he'd been aware of that fax cover letter, his testimony would have been different. But also, my guy, if you're a cell tower expert, shouldn't you know that incoming calls <laughs> can't be used to determine location? That doesn't even feel like a specific thing, you know? It feels like if you were to ask me, like, what's the main ingredient in the waffle batter at the waffle house? I, I, you know, it's not like like am I going to put you the on number trial? one thing? Yeah, incoming calls like can be used for location. That's right. just like a blanket thing that you I feel like should know. Something else Susan Simpson noticed because this girl is on fire. She was listening to the tapes of Jay's interview. And this was like the first bombshell I heard about this case. She noticed that as Jay was going through his story of the day, every time he seemed to pause or be unsure of what to say next, you could hear a tapping noise. And suddenly he'd remember exactly where he was supposed to be in the story. It happened multiple times 
throughout the interview. I'm feeling triggered. Jay would pause. Jay would start to get flustered or say the wrong thing. And then you'd hear it, that tapping noise. And he'd, oh, sorry. He'd always apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Then we did this. So Susan's theory was that Jay and the police had solidified some kind of story during the pre-interview that wasn't recorded. Then they turned on the recording to get the story on tape. And since Jay's story was more about telling the police what they wanted to hear and not based on an actual memory, he would forget. So the police laid out some kind of map or maybe an outline of the story. And when he'd forget a step or mess up, they'd tap, tap, tap on the step that he was supposed to say. It's like the Astros at the World Series. Oh, the cheating? (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't really know what happened. Not that. Was there a tap, tap, tap? Yeah, it was banging on trash cans, allegedly. Oh. You don't, um, did you not know that? I thought you definitely knew that. I knew that they were stealing signs and I knew there was something about a trash can lid. So I guess I did kind of, I forgot about the banging on the trash can until you just said that, though. I remember the the tapping of mm-hmm. like them basically guiding him through the the like order of events. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean when they weren't just blatantly saying like, "No, this is what happened," right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and him being like, like, "Yes, sir, that's what happened." When they weren't just straight up just telling him what to say, they would tap 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 and point to what to say. Another interesting point brought up in Undisclosed was the timeline with Jay, especially concerning the Crime Stoppers reward payout. Now, I think reward money for coming forward with information is like a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, sometimes certain people with certain information might need more than just the kindness of their hearts to come forward with a tip. But on the other hand, it causes a lot of people to call in with fake tips just to try to get the reward money. And if that fake tip sounds good enough, maybe somebody wrong gets put in prison. Yeah. How does that work? Like, do they just, it, when it's like $1,000 for a tip, is, mm-hmm. do they have like just one $1,000 and they give it to the best tip? I mean, people are calling in like crazy. How do they? Yes, they call it in to whoever gives them the tip that leads to an arrest and an indictment of that person. Ah. And that person is assigned a number. So they never give their name. They never say who they are. They're assigned a number. And then I think they go to the Crime Stoppers. They they tell them what number they're picking up. And they're handed over cash. No questions asked. That's how that works. Interesting. Now, the state story was always that they got to Adnan because of an anonymous phone call on February 12th. That led to them pulling his phone records, which showed a bunch of calls to the Pusateri household, which led them to Jen Pusateri, who then told them about Jay. But as it turns out, there was actually a Crime Stoppers tip that came in almost two full weeks before on February 1st. So Hay goes missing on January 13th, and by February 1st, a week before Hay's body was even found, the police aren't following any other leads except Ednan. What was the other tip? That it was Ednan. The February 1st one, two weeks before? Yes. Oh. Yeah, they didn't get that call on February 12th. They got it on February 1st. February 1st. Now, usually a Crime Stoppers reward is triggered by an arrest and indictment by the grand jury. 
Adnan was arrested on February 28th and was indicted by a grand jury soon after that. So the reward money should have been paid out soon after his indictment, maybe in March. But the reward money wasn't actually paid out until November of 1999, eight oh, months after Adnan's indictment. It's all anonymous, so we don't know who got the reward. But it's interesting timing that around the same time the reward is being paid out, Kevin Urich, the prosecutor in the case, is hooking Jay up with his attorney, Ann Benaroya, and Jay is getting his sweet, sweet deal for testifying that included no jail time for helping to bury a body. Yeah, which is wild. So it makes sense that they were keeping this reward money for him until Jay is playing like the good little soldier he is. Also, interestingly, Ann Benaroya, and if you don't remember from Serial, Ann Benaroya is the attorney that Kevin Urich, the prosecutor, procured pro bono for Jay, the state's witness, who is an accessory after the fact to murder. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor gives him his own lawyer. That's That doesn't happen. Anne Benaroya is also the attorney who set both Jay and Kevin Urich up with their 2014 interviews in The Intercept. So everything Jay said in that interview, this whole new story that he came up with, was under the advice of his attorney. I was going to say, he now has that new person. It's almost like they were gearing up for a possible new trial, so they were getting this, like, new story together on what happened. But he's now saying that he's not sure if Adnan planned it out beforehand, but he's also saying that he told him earlier that day he was going to do it. So he's like, I don't know if it was just like a, you know, in the moment thing and he snapped or if he planned it. And I'm like, you literally just said that he told you that he was going to kill her earlier. He's back to saying Adnan killed her at Best Buy and that Jay picked him up there, but he didn't see Hayes' car or her body at Best Buy. Now he's saying he saw her body later in front of his grandma's house. And he says he lied so many times because he was just unwilling to cooperate with police until he was sure he wasn't going to get into any trouble for being a pot dealer. For the pot. Yeah. Damn pot. Or get any of his friends or family in trouble. And that's when he started opening up. But his story with The Intercept is so different than any story he told before. So that's not true either. And... There was also this whole thing. I didn't write this down, but I feel like it's important. I feel like it's important to know. He said that Adnan asked him to get 10 pounds of weed. <laughs> what does that even? 10 pounds of weed. What does that even translate? <laughs> I don't even know. I couldn't even carry that. He says he got him his 10 pounds of weed. And then when he gave it to him, Adnan was like, now I've got you. Help me with this murder or I'm going to tell on you for having 10 pounds of pot. First of all, in, do you remember how like Adon's family, at the, it was so straight laced, like he at very strict. Where was he going to put 10 pounds of weed? You know, like, I oh mean, God. it was like there was no I mean, he had like such a strict curfew. He was only allowed to go like to school, the mosque and wherever you remember, like. He's not walking around doing drug deals and then well, bringing it home. I mean, he was out all – he would sneak out of his house and go see Hay. I mean, he was sure, like a teenage yeah. boy. And he would go right, smoke but, pot with his friends, but he wasn't like – nobody needs 10 pounds of pot unless you're trying to sell it. 10 pounds. 
Yeah, like you'd go have a joint or something, but And again, I'm like, okay, Jay, the self-proclaimed criminal element of Woodlawn. If somebody says, help me bury a body, or I'm gonna tell on you for this 10 pounds of weed that you just gave me, you say, Okay, well, I got you with a dead body and a 10-pound thing of weed. And then go about your day. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather go to jail for weed than murder, I would assume, no matter who's reporting who. And also, it's like, are you j- so does that mean that anybody that's ever bought weed from you could just get you to do whatever they want? Yeah. Because Jay made it seem like Adnan had this power over him that he could control him. And everybody that heard this was like, why the hell would Jay do what Adnan says? Like, that's not how that dynamic mm-hmm. was. Jay was older right. than them. He was the one that was, like, he likes to say the criminal element of Woodlawn that wasn't really true. It was like a small-time pot dealer, and that's about it. But yeah. apparently, there was some stuff going on at his grandma's house. Like, I, I don't know the whole story about his grandma's house, but a lot of places said that there was a lot of drug activity going on at that house. Like, that was a major, like... Like, his grandma's house wasn't your grandma's house. His you grandma's know? house was not your grandma's house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think the whole thing, sometimes I forget that these were talking about high school students and not that high school students can't do, you know, ridiculous things, obviously. I, it's just so hard for me to think, like, this was some crime of passion because they broke up and he's now going to go murder her and hide her body. Like, I just don't feel like high school students are doing that. You're forgetting <laughs> that he is Pakistani and and it was an honor killing, obviously. Uh, yes. Yes, obviously. Yeah. But I get why it's easy to believe Jay. If you watch videos of of him on the stand, he looks so sincere. It is very hard to reconcile. Like, is he really lying? Like, also, why would you lie about all of this to just not get in trouble for pot? Right. And he lied so many different times about so many different things. Like, he has no idea what is even the truth, you know? Right. I just, I still can't fully wrap my head around Jay. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can't explain about this case. I don't think any of them point to Adnan being guilty or that he should have been convicted based on Jay's story. Right. But there are some things that I'm just like, damn, like if Adnan didn't do it, I just want to know all the pieces to this puzzle. I want my genie wish. This would be my genie wish. Explain to me. This would be your genie wish? Yeah. Well, if I got three. Okay. okay. If I got three wishes. Okay. Yeah. Don't get crazy. What? Don't get crazy. If you okay, got one two, of them, if you got two, would this still be one? You're thinking about a heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be. Okay. I would wish, my first wish would be that this podcast becomes very successful. My second Ugh. wish, and I would define the parameters of success for my genie. Okay. So he knows what I'm thinking. Why is your genie got to be a he? Because it is an Aladdin. Okay. Also, because of the patriarchy, bitch. Okay, what do, what do you want me to <laughs> Oh, Robin Williams, R.I.P. I want him to be my genie. Oh, I want Robin Williams to be my genie, too. Will Smith was a pretty decent genie, though, yeah, I gotta I say. I liked him, too. He wasn't bad. But you can't, I mean, you can't beat Robin Williams. Anyways. We're a mess. All of this brings me to my next point, 
which is the failure of investigators to look into any other suspects at all. If you look at all the evidence they collected, you can see that they were in it for Adnan almost from day one. Even before Hay's body was found, they were pulling him over for seatbelt violations, which I'm sure was just an excuse to pull him over. This is my favorite segment of the podcast. It's a reoccurring one where there's all these people we just didn't look into. Right. This is yes. Favorite segment. Yes. They didn't test any of the DNA found near Hayes' body because they were worried it wouldn't come back as a non and make their case against him way more complicated. They wouldn't test hardly any of the fingerprints in Hayes' car, except Kevin Urich, the prosecutor, stated in his closing argument that every fingerprint found in the car was Adnan's, yeah. which is just a straight lie. And they didn't investigate Hayes' movements that day, but they investigated the hell out of Adnan's movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep telling me how much this is similar to Scott Peterson. Please continue. <laughs> just keep on going. Well, Adnan is way more innocent than Scott. Well, I know that, but I just mean like, why aren't we talking to the people walking the dog? You know, whatever. Right, right. Serial did a great job hooking you in with the question. What was this 17-year-old kid doing for 21 minutes after school one day in 1999? It's at the library. The state said, (laughs) he was in the library. We all know he was in the library, Sarah. God. He's at the libs. The state said that Ednan left school with Hay at 2.15 and then called Jay at 2.36 to come pick him up at Best Buy where he'd killed Hay in the parking lot and then moved her body into the trunk. Why would he need a ride when he had Hay's car? I don't know. Why is he doing that at Best Buy too? Why is he doing that at the Best Buy? Who came up with Best Buy? Jay. But we all know by now that that question is irrelevant because the state's timeline was stupid. Even if Adnan did kill Hay, he didn't do it before 2.36. The only thing the police based that on was the incoming call to Adnan's phone that most closely matched the time that Jay said he called. But Jay said it was more like 3.30 when the call came in, and they just picked the closest one, which was 2.36. I wish I could just pick and choose things in a court of law, like I'm out here grocery shopping, like, this one looks nice. That's what they do. I know. (laughs) Also, speaking of this timeline, okay, this isn't super relevant because we know this 236 come and get me call didn't happen. But in Serial, Sarah and her producer Dana decided to perform a little test. And this has bothered me since the very first time I ever listened to Serial. But I've never had a place to really say anything about it. So (laughs) I'm going to say it here. Oh, good. Please (laughs) tell it to the people. So Adnan had always said he didn't even think the state's case was physically possible, that he could have left school at 2.15, gotten out, driven to Best Buy, which was like 17 minutes away, killed Hay, and then called Jay, all in 21 minutes. So Sarah and Dana put it to the test. They go out to Woodlawn High School. They wait for the buses. They get out to Best Buy as quickly as possible. They give like a minute for the actual murder, which was probably manual strangulation. And then they go into the store to make the call, and they still went over by, like, one or two minutes. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it didn't fit. They didn't do it by the time they were supposed to. And she tells Adnan, well, it's possible. We basically did it. And he was really surprised and kind of shocked, as was I, because I was like, Sarah, you liar. You didn't make it by 2.36, and that was with giving yourself one minute after parking to strangle someone. Which, and I'm sorry, a murder is taking longer than a minute. 
unless you are a hitman who knows exactly where to push, even then. Right. You got to load the body into the vehicle, correct? And you're trying to do this and also putting it in the trunk. Right. So all of that, they gave almost no time. Basically saying he could have gotten to the Best Buy, parked, strangled her, and gotten inside to make the call in like three or four minutes. And she said she just showed that it was possible when I say that she just showed that it was impossible. I would just like to go on the record and say, Sarah, I'm sure you're very nice. This is all Kristen's opinion. I would like to go on record and say, Sarah, I want to talk about this little experiment and why you think that you showed that it was possible. What if I got you that for your birthday? What if I could give you that for your birthday? Phone call with Sarah Koenig? Yeah. I do have things to say. Okay. I love Sarah. I love Serial. And I think Sarah did an amazing job. I think she's an amazing storyteller. But I don't think she is a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you tell her to to her face. I don't want to do that. Don't (laughs) give me that for my birthday. (laughs) I don't want to have that conversation with you, Sarah. (laughs) I also want to know more about that time you stopped by Jay's house. Because he said some things in the interview that make me feel like she left a little bit out. Oh. When she talked about it. Hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Okay, so Serial also made this really big deal. Here's me ragging on Sarah Koenig again. They also made this really big deal about Adnan couldn't remember his day or where he was, but he actually accounted for his time pretty well for the majority of the day. He took off on his free period to take Jay shopping to get a birthday present for his girlfriend, Stephanie. He was late to his next class when he got back to school and he let Jay borrow his car and cell phone. And Jay agreed to pick him up after track practice. School got out at 2.15 and he went to the library. Then he had track practice from 3.30 to 4.30 or 5. Jay picked him up. They smoked weed. He got a call from a detective looking for hay. And then he went to prayers at the mosque that night around 7. Kristen. I mean, that's more than I could ac- account for my day six weeks ago. Yes. I was just about to say, we've talked about this. This is one of my biggest fears of like just how I have such a terrible memory. And this happens. And any anytime something happens, this is 
The number okay. one. Thing I'm going to look back six weeks ago and see if I can f- figure out where I was, what I was doing. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So that would be March 17th is six weeks ago from today okay. when we're recording. Okay. So that's a Wednesday. Oh, I know March that. March 17th. Because March 19th, I got an offender bender. But nothing stands out to me about March. It was St. Patrick's Day. <gasps> there was a rainbow. It rained okay. and there was a rainbow. Thank you. Because when I looked at March 17th, I was like, was that spring break or was that the week after? Like, I literally couldn't remember what state I was in. Yeah. (laughs) Was I in Florida or Texas? But I was in Florida that day. This is my biggest. And I think why it's so scary to me is, as you know, I was in a lawsuit for a car accident. And by the time everything happened of, like, actually going and testifying and, like, the trial Mm -hmm. or whatever, it had been a year and a half since the car accident. And questions like, what lane were you in? How fast were you going? Can you tell me right now on your way home from school what lane you were in when you were on your way home from work today, driving? I could tell you what lane I usually drive in because I kind of have on that one route, I have lanes that I usually go into. There's no way I could tell you for sure. If you were on 610 driving, could you tell me what lane you were I was on 610. Could you tell me what lanes you were in? A year and a half ago, driving on 610. A year and a half ago, driving on No, I mean, it's a stupid question. Right. It's a stupid question. It just freaks me this out. This is what you say. I do not recall. Right. And I do is- not recall what lane I was in. Right. A year and a half, 18 months ago. Do you? <laughs> I know. That's what I want to say. Do you know what lane you're in on your way here to this court? I mean, it, it yes. really has paralyzed me of like the fear of needing to account for everything. Like, well, and it also just shows you how a question, how bad one question can make you look. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did say I don't recall. And then it's like, how do you not recall? How this, you know? And then what do you say to that? You know? Without getting in contempt of court. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I would have said exactly what you just said, which is, can you tell me all the times you switched lanes on your way to work this morning? Yeah, I think that does sound like he accounted for every, you know, maybe not every bathroom break or every like conversation in the hall, but the main Right, but he said usually after school, I would go to the library. So I was probably in the library at 2.15 and I would have been there until I headed to track practice around 3. Mm-hmm. But Hayes Day was all over the place. There were multiple conflicting witness statements. And by trial, the state still thought that Hay had planned to go to a wrestling match that night after school. But there was no wrestling match that night. And she had told people that she was going to go see Don. And she told people that she had to work. So, I mean, we just don't know a lot about anyone but Ednan, not even the victim. And wasn't she supposed to but, pick some the cousins up? Like, isn't that how they found out she didn't end up picking them up? Yeah. So she had to pick her cousins up every day at 3.30. She took the responsibility very seriously. But when – so the school called her family when nobody came to pick the cousin up. And that's when they called the police. And the police came out right away for a missing person, which is really rare because usually you have to wait mm-hmm. 24 to 48 hours. And Rabia on Undisclosed theorized that, no, it wasn't Rabia. She was just like, oh, that must be why. So there was a girl from the school that had been killed, like, recently before that, within the last year before Hay. And so. At the same high school? It just, from the from Woodlawn, yeah. Weird that. Also strangled. Weird that we don't, I don't feel like we know that that much. Yeah, she was killed by a guy named Ray 
Davis. I didn't write any of this down. Maybe Roy Davis. I didn't write this down. So my facts might be a little... 40% accurate. 40% accurate. I think her name was Jada Lambert. Well, that's just crazy. Why don't we know that story as much as we know Heyman Lee? Because of cereal. Because it was solved and it didn't have cereal. But it wasn't solved for several years. Like, so when they were looking into the Heyman Lee case, they didn't know... Who had killed Jada. Jada was killed in 1998 by Roy Davis, which they found through DNA. But they've never tested any of the DNA to see if it matches Roy Davis. Why not? mm, Well, at the time, they didn't know about him. And now, I don't know. They might have tested it now, his new lawyer. I can't remember. But she'd also been raped and Hay was not. Right. But the biggest ball dropped was the police's failure to look into a single other suspect. And there were two suspects that they should have looked into that should have looked equally suspicious to police in the early days. There's Alonzo Sellers, a.k.a. Mr. S., who found Hayes' body in Lincoln Park, and Don Kleindienst, Hayes' new boyfriend. And let me just be clear, I'm not saying either of these people are guilty or had anything to do with it. They probably didn't. But... Adnan probably didn't either, so there was ample reason the police should have looked into them further before ruling them out, something that Adnan just didn't get the benefit of. Mm -hmm. So let's start with Mr. S, Alonzo Sellers. Yes. His story was that he was heading to work when he stopped in Lincoln Park to pee. He walked back into the woods and just stumbled upon Hayes' body. And that seemed weird to basically everyone. First of all, her body didn't stand out very much. Like you really, even the people that knew that it was there, the investigators that came, they had to really search for it to actually locate it. And he was a mile away from work. So it's weird that he could hold it to march 127 feet back into the woods, but he couldn't hold it the couple of minutes to get like the mile inside. to work. Yes. I yeah. So the police dug into his background, discovered he had a bit of a streaking history. So they decide to give Alonzo a polygraph test, which he fails. I know those are your favorite. They are my favorite. The questioning of this polygraph was along the lines of, are you hiding anything from investigators about this murder? And it showed deception. So they give him a second polygraph, and this time he passes, but the questions were completely different. This time, each question was about his knowledge about the method and manner of death. Do you know if Hay was stabbed? Do you know if Hay was shot? Do you know if Hay was et cetera, et cetera? He passed that polygraph, and so police decided that was enough to rule him out. It's like the one time police use a polygraph to rule somebody out. Right. (laughs) It actually helped him. I think it's a good possibility that Alonzo did know more that he was sharing, that he was hiding something from police. I think it's possible that he knew Hayes' body was there, like he had heard about it from someone, went to check it out, and stumbled upon her. But because he didn't know the manner in which she died, police didn't look further into him. So I don't think Alonzo killed her, and I I think it's very likely that maybe his story is... 70% accurate where he was in the woods for some reason, maybe to go run around naked, who knows, and saw her there and then came up with this story of having to take a leak. Or it's also possible that somebody, there was a rumor going around, he heard about it, he went to check it out, found her body. Right. Do we think someone, this is a total speculation, but do we think someone totally, like, that we don't know about at all, none of this cast of characters, 
whoever murdered her or someone knows something and they call him specifically and say, I guess we would know something. But I feel like I could see like someone calling and saying, this body is here. Like, go get it. Turn it in. Like, is there some reason why he would specifically be told to go? Do you know what I mean? Like, We just don't know what we don't know. No, I don't think the murderer would be like, hey, go uncover the body that I half buried. Yeah. But I think it's possible that the murderer was like telling people, like told somebody, yeah, she's buried in Lincoln Park and then buy this thing and this thing. And then he heard about it and went to check it out. Yeah. It's possible. I don't know if that happened or not. It. I'm just saying, much like Sarah Koenig says about Adnan being able to kill Hay within 21 minutes, it's possible. Then there's Don, Hay's 22-year-old boyfriend. Don, I think, especially to people that have looked into this case a little bit more than just Serial, I think he interests people almost as much as Jay. He does to me anyway. I don't know if Don did it, and I'm certainly not going to say on this podcast that I think he killed Hay. I don't know. What I am going to say is that I spent five pages of this script talking about all the things that bug me about Dawn. So let's get into it. <laughs> One thing people used a lot against Adnan was the fact that he never tried to get in contact with Hay after he found out that she was missing. But he was getting updates from Hay's friends, so it's not like he wasn't calling her and also wasn't getting information. Dawn, her current boyfriend, never tried to call her either. Yeah, I was going to say, they are, I mean, I know they were still friends, but they are broken up. And he had They're track practice up. and then had to go to the mosque. And then, you know. Yeah. And he thinks, I mean, he knows she's missing. So I would assume she just maybe was late or didn't show up where she was supposed to be. Like, I don't know that my first thought would have been like, she's missing, missing with a capital M, you know. No, he said his first thought was, oh, my God, she's going to be in so much trouble right. when yeah. she comes back because the police were called. She's going to be in so much trouble. Right. That was his first thought. But Don also never once paged her. And in fact, the police couldn't even get a hold of Don until like 1.30 the next morning after Hay went missing. What was Don doing? What I don't know because I know that his mom fudged the schedule and he was <laughs> off. Or said said he was working. Oh yeah, we will get into those time cards because there is even more. Oh no, there's even more. Oh no, than girl. just his mom being the manager. Okay, more than that. All right. So Adnan thought, oh, she's going to be in trouble. Don said the first thing he thought of when he got the call from police that Hay was missing was that he was going to be a suspect. So he started thinking through all his steps that day. So his first thought wasn't, oh, my God, I hope she's okay. Where do I think she might be? No, it was, oh, crap, my girlfriend is missing. I need to make sure I have an alibi. Right. <laughs> Don just seemed like somebody that should have been checked out, and he wasn't. So Bob Ruff with Truth and Justice, he thought the same thing. And he decided to look into it himself. Good. So, Thank you, Bob. So we know from Serial that police said they confirmed Don's alibi, but only by the absolute laziest standards. Don said he'd been working at LensCrafters the day Hay was killed. He usually worked at the Owings Mills LensCrafters location. That's the one that Hay worked at as well. But on January 13th, 1999, he'd been loaned out to the Hunt Valley location. Police didn't get employment records or anything like that to confirm the alibi. No, they just called up Don's manager and asked them if Don was working. (laughs) 
The manager said he'd been there, and that was that. Crossed on off the list. He was working. Nothing more at all was looked into Don until September of 1999, when Adnan was gearing up for trial. His attorney, Christina Gutierrez, Christina, did you not? Gutierrez. (laughs) I need to hear a sound clip of this. I don't know that it, it doesn't like stand out to me. You don't, oh my God. It doesn't. His attorney, Christina Gutierrez, filed a subpoena requesting the employment records for Don for the time period covering January 13th. Lenscrafter sends it over and oopsie, looks like Don wasn't working on January 13th. His time card showed zero hours for that day. Mm. So Kevin Urich, the prosecutor, found out about this, even though the request was supposed to be a secret. And he called <laughs> Lenscrafters. They had a little chat with their legal team. And wouldn't you know it, they were able to locate additional timekeeping records that showed that Don had been working that day. So lucky. So weird. So weird. He worked from nine to six with an hour for lunch. Well, something that was never handed over to the defense was a letter Lenscrafter sent over with these additional timekeeping records. Whatever Lenscrafter's employee wrote that letter, they wanted to make it very clear with bolded letters (laughs) that the general manager at the Owings Mill store that police spoke with was Don's mother. So basically, the alibi that police took is complete solid facts. The alibi that totally ruled Don out as a suspect had been given to police by his own mother. But Mm. this we knew from Serial, right? It gets better. So Bob Ruff looks into these timesheets. There were two because they came from the two different store locations, Hunt Valley and Owings Mills. First off, these computer-generated timesheets had two different names on them. One said Don. One said Donald. Donald. Which... Doesn't sound like a big deal until you remember that they are computer generated. They also had two different employee numbers as well. Mm. The timesheets said he worked for about 33 hours at Owings Mills and 12 hours at Hunt Valley. So he worked over 40 hours that week, but his time card showed zero overtime hours, which is weird. Anything over 40 should have been listed as overtime. So right. Bob thinks, well, maybe Lenscrafters is a franchise, so each location would operate separately. That would explain the different employee ID numbers. That would explain not getting overtime. But Lenscrafters is oh, not. A, it's not. It's not a franchise. They're owned by a parent company, Luxotica, which just sounds like a porn store. But okay, okay, but that sounds better than Lenscrafters. Why didn't they just? Well, they own all yeah. of the locations of Lenscrafters as well as several other vision stores. So Bob does some digging. He speaks to over 20 employees of Lenscrafters, people that worked as Don's supervisor back in 1999, people at Luxottica's corporate office, Lenscrafters corporate, so many people. And every single person said the same thing. No matter what location you're at, you punch in with the same employee ID number. There's no reason whatsoever that a person would have two different employee ID numbers on their time cards. Mm-hmm. What he was told by Lenscrafters Corporate shocked him and me. The, this corporate guy told Bob that the way it worked was that you use your associate ID number to clock in no matter what location you're at. That number is your key to getting paid. 
He said people bounce around from store to store all the time because they're owned by the same company. So they can shift people around like that really easily to cover other people's shifts. Mm -hmm. And you log into the computer with that same employee ID number and it all goes to the same place. So all of the hours would appear on the same timesheet. No employee. It's one system. It's one system. No employee can have more than one ID number. This guy said, quote, if you're looking at two timesheets for the same employee with two different employee ID numbers on them, one of them was falsified. That's right. Oh, yeah. False. I mean, science. that that doesn't take rock. I mean, that makes sense. It's not rocket science. Don's entire alibi was wrapped up in this one piece of paper that was just confirmed by lens crafters to be false. Something else he discovered was that Don said he was working from nine to six covering for someone at the Hunt Valley location in the lab because Don was a lab tech. But along with that letter that LensCrafter sent over to Kevin Urich, they also sent the schedule for that week. And on that schedule, there was no nine to six shift at all. No one. No one. No one. For no one. Yes. He was supposed to be covering someone else's shift for a shift that didn't even exist for that day. Don's mother as the manager would have been able to alter the time on his time card, but you could only do that within a week of the time period. So if Don's timesheets were in fact altered or falsified, it would have had to have been done well before Hay's body was discovered, before anyone even knew she'd been killed. Right. So there would have had to have been something up in that week. Right. I feel like such a jerk for not one time ever filling out a time card. Like, I just, like, wouldn't do it. And then at the end of the week, I was like, do you want to get paid? And then. So how would you get paid? They would, like, enter my hours for me. I would just never do it. I don't know that I could, like, fill out a time card. <laughs> you just Such clock in and out. You clock in and out. Yeah, that's not exactly state of the art at the old, <laughs> at the old black and yellow, you know? Just yeah. the Just wasn't okay. doing it. Yeah, I mean, considering their system is, like, screaming the order back to the chef. <laughs> Okay, put some respect on it. <laughs> oh, I'm going there tomorrow for my birthday. Shut oh, up. Oh, my God. I'm mm-hmm, obsessed for mm-hmm, breakfast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to fill out another application, but. <laughs> Don't talk to that same manager. I know. Just kidding. This is basically my part-time job. The final thing weird about Don's alibi was the real bombshell to me when I was first mm. listening to this over and over. Oh, my God. So we know that Don's mother was the manager at the Hunt Valley location of LensCrafters. Yes. But what Serial didn't know or what they left out was that Don's manager at the Owings Mills location was Don's mother's girlfriend. No. Basically his stepmom. Yeah. Were they like living together? Was it like a partnership? Yes. I don't know if they were living together, but... But, like, they had been together long enough, like, he uh-huh. is, like, knows her. Yes. Why would they leave that out if they knew that? That seems like... Well, I, they must have not known. I remember when Bob dropped that truth bomb on truth and justice. I was just, like, screaming at him in my car. Like, no, Bob. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, say it isn't so. Bob, what? What? Ugh. Now, in the HBO documentary, The Case Against Adnan Syed, the private investigators that Rabia hired kind of brushed this whole falsified timesheet thing under the rug. They said some armchair sleuth had discovered this thing about the timesheets, but that they had debunked it. 
And both I and Bob Ruff took great offense at that, armchair sleuth. But they did not mention at all how they debunked it. They said they'd spoken to 100 employees at LensCrafters and Luxottica and the guy that created the machine that employees used to punch in on. And they debunked that those timesheets were falsified, but just nothing more than that. Nothing about the two different employee ID numbers. Nothing. So I don't know what they found that made them think that it was totally untrue that his timesheets were falsified and even if don did fake his alibi it doesn't necessarily mean he's guilty i mean he could have just been scared and wanted to make sure his alibi was ironclad and it it worked i mean the police left him alone but they shouldn't have that's my point they could have asked all the employees who were working that day if they'd interacted with don they could have taken hair samples fingerprints whatever and run it against all the dna found on hay that didn't match it non i mean it seems like a very simple thing to check like just ask people or pull a customer record of someone he would have assisted. I mean, I yeah. think it's very maybe easy ask other more than, than one person if he was right. working that day that he's not related to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Key. Maybe try to find someone that's not his mother or his <laughs> stepmom. They had the opportunity twenty years ago to actually rule Don out as a suspect, and if they had, we wouldn't have all these questions now where Don is concerned. You know, and if he didn't have anything to do with it, like poor guy has been getting questions since 2014. Right. Okay. Something else about Don that didn't come out really until the documentary involved Hay's friend, Debbie Warren. Do you remember this? From the documentary. I don't know that name, I okay. don't think so. so Debbie was mentioned really briefly in Serial. She was the friend who told police that Hay had told her she had plans to see Don that night. And oh, also yeah. she saw her head out to her car alone after school. She was also the one that had that seven-hour phone call with Don after Hay went missing. Seven hours? Seven hours. The first time I really became aware of Debbie was on that Nancy Grace panel that I mentioned in the Scott Peterson <laughs> episode. You know, Nancy Grace did that whole panel and Debbie and Bob Ruff was on it, which is why I was watching it. And Debbie just rubbed me the wrong way the whole time during that episode. Debbie was also featured in the documentary and she talks about Don, only she calls him Donnie the whole time. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Because I was wondering if I was reading too much into that, but I agree. Like, Hay in her diary never referred to Don as Donnie. Like, she wrote Don 127 times on that one page in her diary. Okay, so Donnie just seems like a more, a much more intimate nickname than Don. And Debbie refers to him only as Donnie in this whole documentary. But boy, does she have things to say. Oh, but boy. Oh, but boy. So first we know from Serial that Debbie initially was suspicious of Don. So she got in touch with him through email. And that led to them having this like seven hour phone call where she says by the end of it, she was absolutely convinced that Don had nothing to do with Hayes' murder. As someone who racked up a $900 cell phone bill, you ain't got nothing to talk to anybody about for seven hours. (laughs) You just don't. You don't. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. And also, side note, I don't think she afforded Adnan the same opportunity to have a seven-hour conversation to assure her of his innocence. So it makes me wonder how much old Donnie boy convinced her it must have been Adnan because she said he seemed genuinely concerned about Hay, but that he expressed suspicion of Adnan in this phone call. 
Debbie said on Nancy Grace, if memory serves, that she thinks Adnan did it because no one else had motive or opportunity. And I'm like, is that your thought? Or did what Donnie is his motive? put it there? What is his motive? That she broke up with him. I, and so honor killing, sorry. I guess. Yeah, he was mad that she broke up with him, so he killed her. So anyway, after this seven-hour conversation, Debbie goes to stay with her sister for spring break, who was off at college, and Don wanted to come visit her. And Debbie said that was the first time he expressed romantic interest in her and that she went along with it. This is March. Hay was killed in January. So a month after his girlfriend's body was found, he's hitting on her friend, like trying to get all up on that Debbie. Right. Little Debbie Cakes. Little little Debbie Cakes. So moral of the story, I don't know if Don killed Hay, but I know he should have been looked into more. I also think that if police had chosen to set their sights on Don, they could have built an equally compelling case against him. Because the fact is... Why aren't we... Like, why aren't we looking into this? Like... Mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go on a tangent, but like we're over here swabbing DNA on little pill backies in some places. And then over here, we've got, you know, like I just don't understand why we wouldn't do due diligence here. Because the police were building a case against Adnan. They were not looking for who did it. They knew Adnan did it. And they were, they didn't want to run any evidence that could be considered bad evidence that would weaken their case against Yeah, him. they're just going to corroborate their story. Exactly. The fact is, the only thing we know for sure is that Hay left school sometime after 2.15 and didn't pick up her cousin by 3.30 and that at some point she was buried in Lincoln Park. We don't know when. Mm-hmm. We don't know how. We don't know who. In fact, Bob Ruff built a pretty solid case against Jay using all of the evidence used against Adnan. He wasn't trying to say, like, Jay did it and here's my proof. He was trying to say, look how I can take the exact same evidence, turn it around, and prove to you that it was Jay Jay. that killed her. Right. And so, look, I could literally go on and on. There was like 14 bullet points I had about (laughs) things I wanted to hit on this case. But those are really my biggest points that I wanted to bring up. And so the last thing I want to talk about is where Adnan's case is now. Because I think some people have kind of like lost track of what's been going on. So there were a few years there after Serial that were amazing for Adnan. He appealed his case on the grounds of ineffective assistance of counsel. His two main points for this appeal were the failure of Christina Gutierrez to notice the AT&T fax cover sheet that said that you couldn't uh, use incoming calls for location. And her failure to interview a potential alibi witness in Asia McLean, who said that she saw Adnan at the library at the, yeah, at the very time the state was saying he was killing Hay. She never even called Asia. Which is crazy. Like, you're the defense. I know. (laughs) But I also think we have to remember, yes, it was a major ball drop. She should have contacted her. But I also think we need to remember that the defense is not privy to the state's case. They didn't know that that was the time period that they needed to make sure they were accounting for. Obviously, they should have talked to Asia so that they could have accounted for his time through the whole day. Right. Just in case, whatever they said. But yeah, she was never even called. 
There was a small problem. Adnan had already filed an appeal on the grounds of ineffective assistance of counsel before Serial ever came out using Asia. And this time when he appealed, he wanted to use the fax cover letter saying it was new evidence. And the judge, Judge Welch, agreed. He said the cell phone data was new evidence. So he allowed that argument to be made. And after months and months of waiting, Judge Welch overturned Adnan's conviction, meaning that he was not exonerated, but he did rule that Adnan deserved a new trial. So his conviction was overturned. He's going to get a new trial. Excellent. What year was that? Oh, this was probably like 2015, 2016. When did Serial come out? 2014. Yeah. Imagine that your girl's late to the game. I know. Yeah. I mean, I listened to it like probably 2018. You're not that late. You you got there before tonight. So yeah. Hey, (laughs) something. So the state decides to appeal this decision to no one's surprise. And this guy, Thiru Vignaraja, he came out of retirement to prosecute this case for the state, which I don't think has ever happened before. Like, it was nuts. For whatever reason, he felt so strongly that Anand deserved to stay in prison that he came out of retirement to argue the case. I can't imagine caring about something that much. No kidding. Uh, No kidding. It seemed like he was using it as a, like, propeller for his political career. And we Mm. saw in the documentary how he lost that... uh, Race, yes. thank God. Answer for your crimes, Thiru Vignaraja. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the appellate court confirmed Judge Welch's decision. Adnan's conviction stayed overturned, and he was going to get a new trial. Yes. Then the state appealed it again, this time to the Supreme Court of Maryland. Mm. And this upsets me. Oh, no. You got scrunch face. Scrunch face. This was a 4-3 split decision. So this Mm. came down to one person. And it was not because they didn't think that the evidence was good. They decided against him because they decided that the AT&T fax cover letter was not new evidence and therefore Mm. could not be used in an appeal for ineffective assistance of counsel because it should have been brought up the first time he appealed on those grounds. But he had ineffective assistance. No, the first time he appealed on Asia. He used Asia. Yeah. And so the judge, Welch, the first judge, he said, yeah, this is new evidence because you didn't know about it before, so it's new evidence, so he allowed him to use that. So because of a technicality in the law, it means Adnan doesn't get a new trial. One person, a 4-3 decision. If one of those four had decided differently, he would be getting his new trial. I think that bothers me, too, because the outcome could be the same. Like, why not do the trial? The trial could, the outcome still could be that he is in prison for life. Especially when you're talking about a loophole in a law. Like, this is somebody's life we're talking about i think common sense should really trump loopholes in the law right so this reinstated adnan's conviction it sent the case all the way back down to the lower courts this Uh was a huge blow to adnan's case because it means that he cannot use the at&t fax cover letter as proof of ineffective assistance of counsel in fact i think it means that he can't prove he can't argue ineffective assistance at all anymore Uh unless they come up with some some totally new evidence that they didn't have before at all 
<laughs> One hope is that they could prove a Brady violation with the AT&T fax cover sheet if they can prove that it was not turned over by the state. So I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but a Brady violation is when the state doesn't turn over something to the defense that could be considered exculpatory, meaning it could have made a difference in the outcome of the trial. But it's possible that it was turned over and the defense just didn't see it. They didn't miss it. So they'd have to prove that the prosecution never gave it to them. So Adnan's team hasn't given up. They're still fighting. But it's going to take finding more new evidence, which would then send it to the courts, which would then be many more years of it going through the courts and the appeals, appeals, appeals. Adnan's been in prison for 22 years now, ever since he was 17. He'll be 40 this month. He's a Taurus, too. <gasps> oh. Yeah. This month is in... Oh, never mind. We're in May now. It's like, gonna be May. May. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just the tip of the iceberg of everything I've ever wanted to say about this case. But I feel better now. I feel like I've gotten Do it all you? off my chest. Was this cathartic for It was a little cathartic, yes. I feel like I can put this, this case to bed now until I get my genie wish and find out every detail... <laughs> Of how Dawn took if, her to a hotel and killed her there and then buried her. That's my theory. If if you get Cut this that. genie wish, you would uh, <laughs> you would obviously share that with me, right? Because then it's like we would have four genie or six genie wishes between the two of us. How do know? I share my genie wish with you? No, I mean like they're all your genie wishes, but then like you would tell me what happened. Like you would give me the deeds. Oh, I would yell it far and loud. I would get that person arrested. Are you kidding this me? Was- Justice, I would get Adnan out of jail. I okay, this is what I don't want. I would have to make it very clear to the genie. This would be my my worst fear that I get to know, but I can't do anything about it. Like I can't prove it. Nobody believes me. Your genie seems like a real tight ass, but all these rules on you. (laughs) Genies are real tight asses. Have you ever, you know, make me a prince? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You gotta be specific with genies. They like to play around. They're very Silly. Yeah. Maybe we'll ask the peeps and creeps with their genie wishes on our Instagram story. Oh, I would like to know. What is your genie yeah. wish? Yeah. What's your genie wish to... case? I want to know specifically your genie Ugh, wish well, case. You gotta... I don't just want to know that you know. would wish for a million dollars or to be our friend. I get that. You already know what everyone's going to say <laughs> other than be our friend. They're going to say Jean Benet. No, I don't think every – I think some people will say Jean Benet, but I think some people aren't as into that case as other people. P.S. We will never be covering Jean Benet on this podcast. Oh, will we not? Because I really don't know anything about it. Oh, God. Maybe I'll do a mini-sode on it. Just give you the, give you a quick overview of it one time. I think this is going to be the top three answers. Jean Benet, Scott Peterson, Adnan. Are those like the top? Th- I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other like well-known true crimes, but those are my three. I think Delphi. Delphi? I think people will want to know what happened at Delphi. What's that? Oh, Lord. We're going to – well, let me just add it to my list. <laughs> I love – sometimes when I get the notification, it's like podcast notes been updated. I'm like, did I say something stupid where you're like, oh, shit. You know? <laughs> I'm like, what did I say recently? Yeah. I should probably just take you off that note because honestly – I don't add anything to it. <laughs> I, no, because it's spoilers. Like I was worried the whole time. I'm like, well, I say right there – Mogab birthday episode. <gasps> She's going to see it. It was on there? Yes. Oh. <gasps> this whole time. It. it says, 
Birthday present to Mo Gab. I was going to do Taylor Swift or I was thinking of doing uh, Amanda Knox. I was, oh, I was, that would have been a good one. You can, you can do that for my birthday next year. All right. I'll save it because we're still going to be alive and well next year. Uh, yes. <laughs> all right. That's all I have. So. Hey, peeps and creeps. We'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget that we are doing our creepstakes this, is that what we're calling it? Yeah, but I keep forgetting. Oh, well, we are doing that this week and all through the month of May. So make sure you're checking our Instagram account and that you are following us there at Creepers Pod. And follow us on all other social media. Tell a friend, tell a pal, get on there, wish K-Dub a happy birthday. Yeah. And you can email us any feedback, ideas at creeperspod at gmail.com. And don't forget to let us know what you would love to hear for our upcoming mini-sodes. Yes. Also, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you f- to everyone who's left us review on Apple Podcasts. We are like almost to 150. We're like on the verge of 150. So I would love to get there. I think our next goal should be 200 reviews. That would be amazing. Girl, you crazy. That would be amazing to hit. I don't think I'm crazy. I think we can do it. It would be awesome if you could jump on there, give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us out so much. And also, we just love to see it. You love to see it. You love to see it. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Ooh. Bye, peeps and creeps.